Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, folks. I would like to introduce myself. My name is Payal, and I am a traveler who also loves to meet people. And I think a blend of both is where this concept of melting pot has come about. In my melting pot series, I will be talking to lots of inspiring people from different parts of the world and also from different cultures, whom I meet during all my travels. The common factor between these folks will be the desire to follow their passion and make it a way of life. So step into this melting pot and enjoy the chats. Hi everyone, welcome to another weekly melting pot episode. Today my conversation is with someone who's very very accomplished. Her name is Uste Onutite. Yes, Yanutite. Thank you. Okay. Not an easy name to say, I guess. Maybe I should have an easier international name. No, it's fine, but I had to give it my best shot anyways. I'd say you're very good. Yeah. Thank you. So Uste is a contemporary art expert. She's an art historian. She's a curator and also the founder of Temper Projects. Thank you so much for joining me today. We're going to be talking a lot about art and I'm really, really excited. Yes, thank you for inviting me to have this conversation. It's actually my first one uh, in Singapore, so. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I may be based in Singapore and you're in Lithuania, correct? Yes, I just got back from the Venice Architecture Biennial, uh, just yesterday. But yes, I'm currently based in Vilnius. Uh, okay, okay, great. Yeah. So, I mean, we are literally on, on opposite sides of the globe, but my podcast, and of course, it's on YouTube as well. So I have listeners and viewers all over the world. <laughs> and um, That's a great thing about podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you can just reach out to so many people and the kind of feedback that I get is so amazing where people, you know, come back to me and saying, oh, really, we learned something so unusual with the conversation that you had with your guest. So, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's just so broad and so, so global and very exciting me as well, because I get to learn about so many different, very, very interesting, you know, interesting uh, passions that different people have. So it's not about me, it's about you today. So Uste, tell me where, you know, you are originally from Lithuania, but I read in in your bio that you studied in Scotland. 
So exactly. Um, well, just before I started my studies at university, Lithuania joined the European Union. So just two years later, I could choose, you know, any European Union country to study. Uh, and it happened so that I chose uh, Scotland for my studies because it's one of the few countries which really allows to study two different subjects in your undergrad, two or even three subjects. Um, and I'm someone who's you know always had very different interests. So in my high school, uh, mathematics was kind of the focus subject, but I also really love you know history, languages, um, literature. So. I did want to study like two really different subjects. And uh, this is the, you know, the unique thing about studying in Scotland that I could really just, you know, study art history and also do, you know, economics or management at the same time. And this is why I picked Scotland. Okay. Okay. So was art history something that you were always interested in? It's definitely something I was always interested in, but, you know, I don't come with a family with any artistic background, so it wasn't really, you know, running in the family, but I did have like a great art history teacher at school. It's not a compulsory subject, so just, you know, that, yeah, I was just, you know, I grew up traveling a lot around Europe and, you know, I visited, um, museums such as the Louvre or, you know, some museums in Florence. And I was really acquainted with, you know, art history um, just from seeing it from a very early age. So I guess, yeah, that's, that's all. But, you know, I really, at that point, I wasn't really sure that I wanted to do art history. I applied for, you know, six different universities and six different subjects. And I also got accepted, you know, into a filmmaking program into, you know, a marketing program. So it was really just that Scotland and St. Andrews was like the only place where I could do, you know, more subjects than just one. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And obviously you were meant to, you know, you were meant to make this your career, which is why it, the universe kind of sent you in that direction. So what, Perhaps, uh, yeah. <laughs> so when did you set up Tema Projects? Uh, so it was maybe four four years ago. I was still running um, another big institution at the time uh, called Rupert, which I joined in 2013, which really focused on artist residencies, uh, exhibitions, and education for the young generation of artists. And then on the side, I started this other project, which really the focus is more on the art market and education for more general audiences. So not specifically professionals of art, which was Rupert, but uh, more in that people who are interested maybe either, either to learn more about like art, contemporary art, art history, or to start collecting contemporary art. Okay. Yeah, I, I left my other position two years ago and I've been doing this project full time since then. I understand you are involved in artist residencies. Is that correct? 
Exactly. I was for six years. Now I'm just, you know, a board member. So I'm not working with presidents, you know, on daily basis, but more on like strategic matters, maybe a couple times a year. Uh, But yes, for six years, it was my daily uh, job to oversee the program, to select, you know, about 30 artists and creators uh, who would be coming to Vilnius every year. And then to work with them on daily basis with their projects. And they were really diverse because we're really dealing with contemporary art. And the project could be about anything, you know. I've searched for a clairvoyant. Uh, I've searched for, you know, neo-pagan movements and so just anything you could think of. Okay, okay. So it's not really, it wasn't really focused on visual arts per se. It was, uh, this is visual, this is all oh, visual, within the field all, of all visual arts. Visual arts. Okay, okay, fine. Okay. Just uh, visual art artists we also had their own uh, fields of research which are really broad and really different project to project okay okay yeah yeah sorry yeah i i misunderstood but uh, thanks for clarifying (laughs) yeah i guess uh, when you think of visual arts most people just immediately think about painting i don't know what you were thinking but painters were maybe like a small part of the residency uh, we really had really different, you know, subjects within the visual arts from uh, starting from performance art to video art, installation, sculptures, could be even, you know, a computer artwork, you know, so right. contemporary yeah. art that's very diverse. And yeah. yeah, that's true. And also, did they come from different parts of Europe or you specifically encouraged artists from within Lithuania? It was primarily an international residency program. So I would say 95% of our residents came from abroad because usually that's the idea. You want to go to another country to do a residency, to expand your network, you know, to discover new things for your research. But it wasn't just Europe. They were mostly from Europe, but we really had, you know, residents coming from Australia, Canada, you know, any any country, uh, really. Probably from Singapore, too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, because there's a lot of... Singapore has, it is very rapidly growing in, you know, in within the art space. And so I am not surprised if you've had, you know, artists from Singapore as well. So tell me more about you as a curator. The term of curating is really broad. So most common understanding is that it's usually an exhibition curator. So someone who organizes the show, if it's, you know, a historical artist, when they conduct the research and then you know, uh, select the works that should be in the show. And if the artist is alive, which is mostly the case with the shows I create, I mostly work with contemporary artists. So then it's really a dialogue uh, between the curator, which is myself and uh, the artist. And we decide together um, what should go in the show. And in my case, I usually uh, like to work with new commissions Uh, So I like to encourage the artist to do something new for the space and, but also curating, you know, it can be curating a 
public program. Uh, so it can be creating different lectures, performances. And now uh, this year, uh, or I guess it's just been five months uh, this year, uh, I've been working on curating or editing a magazine online, which will include uh, different contributions, so texts, but also you know photographs and drawings. So really, curating can be uh, a very broad that's, term. Uh, and broad, yeah. Projects so, are really um, they really range. Okay, and uh, so the online uh, magazine is that an idea that came to you because of the you know the pandemic that we've been experiencing since last year? Is that what prompted you to you know to to start? Because there may have been limitations with you connecting with artists on a one-to-one basis, as in, you know, in person. Is that what the idea behind it was? Well, I didn't initiate the project. So the magazine board invited me to do a special issue of the magazine. But I'm sure, you know, it's somehow connected to the pandemic because all the contemporary art institutions are really shifting more and more towards, you know, digital. And obviously, so this is connected to funding as well, but there may be allocating more budget towards, you know, a digital magazine than they would towards uh, put towards like a show in some countries now. Obviously, in uh, Lithuania, where I was based during the pandemic, museums were mostly working. They were closed for the winter, so for three months. But now every single gallery and museum is open in my country. That's not the case um, in each country, but that's the case here. So I would say it's, um, you know, both maybe the direction that the art world was already slightly moving towards, but also very affected by the pandemic as well. So, yeah. So I guess that that's, I mean, it's a shift in a lot of different industries, not just the arts after what's happened last year. And it seems to continue with in 2021 as well. So just moving away. Absolutely. And into the future. Yeah, into the future. I mean, I don't think it's uh, it's going away in, in a hurry. And the new normal is going to be very, very different from what, you know, we, what was so what was a given? What was just so no one even thought? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. That something like this could happen. So... I think, yeah, the new normal is something that we'll have to adapt to and it's going to be very, very different. Absolutely. I was just in the Venice Architecture Biennial last week and uh, the whole biennial was cancelled last year due to the pandemic, but this year they decided to go uh, for it and to still open up. But it's a very different event uh, than all the other years. It's really uh, so many pavilions that instead of, you know, a show, you have like a QR code, which you just scan and the pavilion is fully online and not present physically in Venice. And then other uh, pavilions, they really, you know, were affected either in their form or in their subject by this. And obviously, Usually the preview week, it's just full of viewers from all around the world. And it was really primarily just Italians and then some Europeans, but they really hardly had anyone from other countries. So I guess it's really, it's really something that will be affecting the arts field and, as you mentioned, other fields for the next few years. I mean, how do you personally feel about it? Because, yes, things are moving more, you know, the contemporary art is moving more towards digital. But from actually, you know, being able to stand in front of an art piece or the interactions are changing, it, you know, it's becoming less of uh, that human, you know, that emotion of when you when you're when you're in front of a painting and you actually see it the kind of reaction that you would have would probably be or will be completely different from when you see a piece of art on your computer screen so how do you as an art historian curator how do you feel about it personally you're listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe with me Pyle, on this very unique and special podcast series melting pot well i think there are many things i feel so it depends on you know the exact direction of the subject but I really am very bored when some museums just take a very conventional approach 
and they think that, you know, we can just digitize their physical collection of art uh, and just put it online and then people will be interested. It's really not the case, you know. The institutions that will really win, uh, you know, the audience, they will, you know, really go for creating work specifically for the digital format or, you know, finding new ways to engage their audiences through either, you know, certain virtual tours that are interactive and interesting, exciting, or for educational, uh, you know, programs. But also uh, another thing that I really notice is that everyone is really turning back towards their local art scenes. So they're really getting much, much, you know, stronger in a sense and this is the same for me. I would miss so many shows normally in the Finia, but, you know, I've seen so many shows since, you know, since everything started last year because I was traveling, you know, 90% less than was normal. And I was really able to, um, you know, engage more with the local art scene. And I've noticed the same thing, you know, with LA collectors, the sales for galleries, they really dropped, you know, uh, in the first weeks of the pandemic, but then they really increased and almost reached, you know, their pre-pandemic levels just because people really had time to explore art, to go to galleries once they were open and to see the artworks uh, when they were usually, you know, too busy to do that. And so I think there are many different things that are happening and those who can really adjust and engage rather than those who are trying the conventional ways will be the winners of this situation, you know. Right. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Lithuanian art. How, what are some of the very, very unique aspects of Lithuanian art? I mean, are the artists, what is more in focus with the contemporary art? Well, you know, just like any country, there are such, uh, you know, diverse points of interest and artists and their practices. You know, it's, it's probably same as in every country, but what I consider, you know, the strongest part of contemporary art in Lithuania, it's, I guess it's more um, experimental and more conceptual in a way. And also it's... Um, trans interdisciplinary so it means it's joining several different you know disciplines and an example of that is the Lithuanian pavilion in the Venice the last Venice art biennial not this year but two years ago yeah uh, which won the golden lion award in Venice as the best national pavilion and it's uh, it's a contemporary uh, performance opera which really talks about you know the climate change issues in a very you know, in a serious but also uh, non-patronizing way. This is one example of what contemporary art in Lithuania is doing. Uh, it's really, you know, strong in the field of like performance and contemporary opera, and other conceptual and uh, site-specific projects as well. So uh, we really have a whole generation of artists who are in their 20s and 30s who are really working internationally, but are based in Vilnius, such as 
Emilios Carnolite, who won the Pinchuk Arts Prize with her video installation, and Augusta Sarabinas, who was also participating in the Venice Biennial, Robertas Narcos, who will be the next Venice Biennial artist. So all of these artists are really young. They're working internationally. Their work is very conceptual, but also very responsive to what's happening right now. Interesting. Yeah. And Lithuania is a very small country as well, right? Exactly. It's only 3 million people. And I would say we have quite a lot of artists for, you know, for how small the country is. Yeah, which is which is what, you know, is so fascinating. And I think I and are you involved in any way with because I think you're also on the board of the Lithuanian Culture Institute. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so that also, I guess you're an enabler and you are with all your vast experience, you must be also, you know, helping in giving direction and bringing Lithuanian art to the outside world. So that I think is is quite incredible. I've so enjoyed And you know, the, the yeah. most important thing that I noticed, at least for the Culture Institute, like, what really works and what I really recommend other countries should do is inviting international curators and writers to come and, uh, you know, meet artists in person. That's uh, really, it doesn't take that much investment uh, as it appears. It's o- it only costs, you know, a flight ticket and, you know, a free night stay in a hotel. And, you know, after those trips that are organized by the Culture Institute of Lithuania, so many times, you know, a new project will appear uh, yeah. either in, you know, in China or yeah. in uh, Italy. Just, yeah, because just I think this whole cross-cultural language, you know, of communication is and bringing it together, I think, is what you're... Absolutely. But yeah. what I mean is like, you know, it would cost so much. Well, it would be such a big budget, for example, to, you know, bring a local artist and to, you know, organize a show in another country and then expect people to see it. Yeah. But what's much more economical in a way is just to bring the person for them to do a studio visit with, say, 10 local artists and then maybe something will come out of that. Yeah. And and a new perspective, you know, because that that always kind of goes a long way because it's a new way of looking at things from a different culture and including it and and absorbing it is always a great way of learning. So before I sign off, I just wanted, you know, with your vast experience, what kind of an advice would you give to to a lot of the young people who are at that stage in their lives now where they're waiting to, whether they want to be art historians or whether they want to get into art curation, what kind of an advice would you give them? Well, I guess my... Well, some of the advice I will have is to really explore different subjects because, well, if you're maybe interested in art history, it's one thing. Uh, But then again, you really need to pay attention to what's happening now. 
And you really need to follow and be interested in many subjects because contemporary art, you know, it's very uh, connected to, you know, environmental issues, political issues, history, uh, you know, even the new technological. It's very topical. You're saying it's very topical. Exactly. So just be like really uh, be curious and be interested not just in art, but also in various subjects so that, you know, you can understand the context of both. And obviously art history is, you know, a great key to start, uh, I think. Uh, So even if you know for sure that, you know, contemporary art is what interests you. I really uh, encourage you to either, you know, do art history first or just read some art history books and get acquainted because you'll recognize that a lot of contemporary art is really strongly grounded in uh, art history. And also, I guess my final advice would be it takes really some time. It's a very competitive field. It will be hard to get a job at the beginning. And, you know, you'll maybe need to send 50 applications after you graduate before you get your first job. And it won't be paid so well because it's a culture field. So this is to be expected. But if you're persistent uh, and if you're passionate about the subject, you know, you, you will succeed in the end. And I guess I have to also say you must go speak to the artists. You must uh, go to their studios and to see their shows because art is not something you can just learn about from books. It's really important to, you know, both to see it in person and also to learn the ideas behind it from the artists. That's very, very sound advice. <laughs> Thank you so much, Yuste. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And, uh, <laughs> and wish you all the very best. And maybe we'll, you know, we'll meet someday in Lithuania or in Singapore, because Singapore is so vibrant now when it comes to the different kinds of art. And, you know, and we've got great museums here. So maybe, you know, once you're able to travel to Singapore, it will be my pleasure to to take you around. Absolutely, I would love that. Hopefully, hopefully I'll come to Singapore in the next few years. Yes, absolutely. And me to Lithuania. So thank you very much once again. Thank you and speak to you soon. Yes, will do. Take care. Bye. For more weekly conversations, do listen to Melting Pot on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Follow us on YouTube and on Instagram at Podcast Melting Pot. So until the next episode, this is Pyle signing off. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.